Good evening, Mendocino County. This is Chris Scott. I'll be host this evening. Here is a perspective. Thanks very much for my friend Rich Culberson for engineering for us. So that I can just relax and be a host tonight. I'm very excited about our show. We have two guests tonight. My first guest is, by the way, that was Bruce Coburn with his song, Stolen Land. And uh, we have two guests. My first guest is going to be Frankie Meyer. He is a vice chair of the Yurok Tribal Council. And I'm very excited to have him on. He is going to talk about uh, the Patrick's Point State Park in Humboldt County is about to have a name change. And he will tell us about that. It's going to go to a, a traditional Yurok name. And that's pending right now. And then we're going to move up to McLeod Watershed. That's, of course, by Shasta. So we'll be up with our relations in the north tonight, in Humboldt and McLeod area. And my guest will be Angelina Cook. She's the director of McLeod Watershed Council. And we'll be talking about several issues with water and, and climate change. Let's bring up our first guest, Rich. Good evening, Frankie. Do we, oh, do we have you, Frankie? I agree. Hello, Frankie. Yes, sir. Yes, thank you so much for being with us. I really appreciate it. Uh, Frankie, before we yeah, dive... thanks for happening. For, for, before we dive into the issue of the name change at Patrick's Point, could you give our listeners a little snapshot about the... Euro I mean, I know we could do like an entire show about it, but just give our listeners a little snapshot of the Yurok people and who you are and where your traditional territory is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like, like you said, my name is Frankie Myers, the vice chairman of the, the Yurok tribe. Our ancestral lands are up in uh, northern Humboldt County, starting out the, the Litter River and, and going up to uh, Damnation Creek up by, uh, you know, just south of Crescent City, and then from the mouth of the Klamath River inland up to Bluff Creek and, and uh, next to the, the Hoopa Valley tribe there. Yurok is the largest federally recognized tribe in, in California. We got about uh, 6,500 members. Give or take, uh, we encompass uh, our members are, are all over the, the Western United States for the most part, but mainly congregated in, in Hoop in, in Humboldt and Delnark County, where we are uh, one of the, the largest employers in uh, Delnark and Humboldt County. Yes, I'm sure maybe we can do another show sometime on this entire Klamath issue, Klamath River issues. But anyway, yeah, no, absolutely. But tonight you are here to tell us about what's happening at Patrick's Point. Please go ahead. No, thank you, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to speak on this. And I, I know we're we're saying there's a name change, or uh, you know, we're renaming uh, Patrick's Point. But you know, from our perspective, from the the Yurok perspective, the place has always been called Sumeg or Sumig, uh, depending on the dialect you're from, but. It never changed for us. The village has, has always been there since time memorial. Um, it's always been inhabited. It's always been used, and it continues to, to be used. We've been working with our, our partners in the state parks and others. But, but from us, the village has always been called Sumig. Or Sumig. It, it's only been in recent history, the last you know, 50 years or so, that um, folks started calling it uh, Patrick's Point or, or Patrick's Point State Park once the state park took it over. And as we've been developing our relationship with the state of California, I'm sure that you, you know, heard the, the governor's apology, uh, Governor Newsom's uh, apology when he came into the office a few years ago, recognizing the, the government-funded genocide of, of Native Americans people, specifically here in California, and, and actually, you know, really working to try to 
make that history known and to really bring us up to speed on where we're at here. California has over 170 uh, tribes, 115, 110 federally recognized tribes are one of the largest uh, states in the nation uh, per you know, capita for tribal people. We've participated in, the, in uh, government-to-government relationships for the last few years, and we really worked with uh, Victor, the, the, the superintendent for Patrick's Point and, and the state parks in our every Redwood National State Park, to really see what we can do uh, to you know, try to fix the history we have in this state, really tell a true history of uh, our place here. And, and, you know, it was, it's was it been something that, you know, has been on the hearts of our people for a long time. Um, you know, Patrick Begain was, was a bad person under any circumstance. Now, I don't care if you're an Indian, you're, you're non, or wherever your ethnicity comes from, or if you don't claim ethnicity, uh, he was a murderer. Yes, please, and please tell, us, tell us what he, he did. Thank you. Absolutely, he uh, he you know was a settler who came into this area. Um, you know he was a, a colonizer for this area, trying to you know get as much land as he could. Um, we know uh, that he was a part of a group of, of folks here in what was formerly Klamath County at the time, who uh, you know responsible for raids on on tribal villages. Uh, you he murdered you know young children as young as, you know, four years old, uh, women and the likes, you know, he was, uh, by any measurement of a person, he was a bad person. Um, really, no one worth deeming a state park over. And I think it was reflective of the times that we've come through uh, as a state and as a country. There's dark, dark, dark history uh, in this country and specifically in the state when it comes to relationships between the state and, and tribal people. And I don't think that's exactly where we are anymore. Uh, I think we're looking to try to look towards the future and, and naming places like this. We have to correct that. Uh, we have to make those changes. We want to remember the whole vibrant history of this country and of this state um, and to mark that piece of it with that individual's name does an injustice to who we are as a people, as a, as a country, and as a state, and where we are going. So it, it was under, you know, some, some discussions and some leadership from the state park side um, and from the, the Yurok tribe, the descendants of Sumeg there, who are still very much alive, who still very much, you know, uh, do cultural um, events and participate and continue to make a a way of life there at Sumeg who said it's time, uh, you know, as our relationships have building and we have seen the movement from the state uh, saying we want to recognize the move forward, it's time to change the name. And so we uh, we petitioned, and, and it sounds like for the most part, um, you know, we've had some, some really good, uh, you know, folks saying, yes, this is what we should do. And, and from the state park side, folks who have seen the vision and understand where we're heading and wanted to, uh, you know, correct that uh, – injustice of the the name of what will formerly be known as Patrick's Point State Park. So um, is this, is it, is the name definitely going to change or do you still need some support? Well, it definitely still needs some support for sure. Uh, We have a hearing coming up on the 30th. uh, I believe it starts at at nine o'clock is when the the state parks and recreation uh, holds their hearing for the official 
uh, name renaming Sumig uh, Village. So it, it definitely, if we, you know, folks want to call in, they want to get information, show your support, uh, definitely do so. Uh, definitely would uh, does not hurt to continue to voice, um, you know, the 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 need to have the name change restored back to the original name of, of Sumig. So just just so that I'm going to speed. So the name change is almost certainly going to happen, but you still would like a little more support to be sure that it gets over the finish line. Uh, absolutely. I mean, there's no you know nothing is 100 percent certain in this world, and and you know we feel very strongly it's going to change. Um, but absolutely, always always getting out and, and showing support. This is one of the name changes we're, we're looking at. I think this isn't really the end all and, and you know this doesn't heal all wounds right this doesn't make everything right that happened not. there sure um but you know it's a, it's a recognition that we are still alive and i think that's the most important part it's you know our voice is still here we are still here the descendants are still here we're still very vibrant and a part of this community um and it's time that we start checking checking these uh, off the list here so, in terms of giving you some support to get this over the finish line, how can people do that? Uh, yeah, go on the uh, California State Parks and Recreation site there, or check the Chawpec, uh Village in Community Center, or not Community Center, but Visitor Center webs or Facebook page. Uh, find there's there's details for the login information for the the hearing, and uh, sign up and, and have your your voice be heard supporting. Um, recognizing tribal people here in California and, and uh, voicing your support for a, a better future. I, I don't want to detour us, detour, detour us too much, but you said you're working on other parks too? I, I think there's other names within our ancestral territory um, that you know are, are undeserving. We have other monuments within our ancestral territory that are that are undeserving and and frankly, disrespectful to uh, us as a people. But you know, I, like you said, I don't want to get distracted. We're on Patrick's yeah. point right yes, now. Yes, we are. Um, I think that's that's the big that's the big push. We need to continue that. And you know, I've heard some you know talk about you know this part of erasure culture. And as an indigenous person, as a, as a native person, as a Yurok tribe member, there is nothing more offensive when um, someone asks me if the name change is a part of uh, erasure culture. When the name itself, right, when, when the original name of our village was literally uh, tried to be erased from the maps and from the history books and replaced with uh, Patrick's Point. And so uh, I, I think there is some movement we need to make as a country, and this is the, the type of movement we need to make. Well, if, if this does go through, as, as we are expecting, and hopefully get a little more support tonight, it will be a, quite, a land, quite, quite a watershed event. That it does change, and people, people very much it'll be in the public eye. Hey, there used to be Patrick's Point. Why is it? Why is it this now? That really provokes whole whole realm of conversations amongst the public. No, I think so, and I think that's an important point that we need to have a discussion on. You know, the state park um, is a taxpayer funded place, right? I pay taxes to it. People pay taxes. We we support the state parks. I support the state parks. My public money should not be used to continue to perpetuate uh, individuals' murders of genocide 
uh, in our history. I, I don't think that is the place that we should be spending money in. And if we are going to be spending money for signage, it should be reflective of the people who are there and the type of history and future we want to build for this for this state. Um, just one more time, uh, the how people can support you. Where should they go? Uh, they can go on the uh, the Chaw Peck uh, Visitor Center Facebook page or the California uh, Department of States and Recreation website and find the link for uh, the Patrick's Point uh, renaming hearing, which is happening September 30th, uh, obviously virtual. I believe it starts at, at 930. Okay. Is there any last thoughts you'd like to give our listeners here tonight? No, just like I said, come out and support and, uh, you know, think critically about where you live and, and whose land you're on. And these movements, they don't have to just come from Native people here, right? If you are seeing something or if you you know of a place and, you know, dig into where you're from and the history of it, you know, you can bring these things forward as a community yourself, uh, you know, work with the local tribes, look at where your your place is. And uh, I'll leave some more for uh, uh, the folks on the McLeod River, um, and we'll, uh, we'll leave it at that. Well, there's certainly, I just want to tie this in here. Rich and I are sitting here in Fort Bragg right now, and there's been lots of discussion right. about, well, what's the fort mean? What does Bragg mean? There's a lot of discussion right now about that in our community. Absolutely. Fort Bragg was, was the, the pivotal point for many man, man, uh, you know, slaughters that happened up and down the coast here. It was the central point for aggressions on Native people since the foundation and, and Native communities of uh, Fort Bragg is, um, you know, it was, it was a terrible place, and it was not a place uh, that we hold in high regard. The actual fort, not the place. It's a beautiful place. We love the, the place itself and, and the people. They're, you're fantastic people. But that original Fort Bragg, um, you know, was another one of those instances where is that really the, the one tiny piece of history that we want to perpetuate to the future? Is that the, is that the piece? that we want to educate our children with, right? Is that, the, is that the piece that we want to perpetuate in our society, to perpetuate in our culture? Is, is that who we are as a people now? Um, or is it better for us to really think about these names and the impacts they have on the indigenous people here and what we want to teach our, our children? You will always find uh, Fort Bragg in the history books. You will always find uh, Patrick began in the history books. That is never going to go away. That is always a part of our history. Do we need to elevate it uh, to a status uh, such as the name of your city or the name of your state park? I don't think so. Um, and I could use you know many examples of, of why I think this was uh, something that we need to do and move forward on. But you bring up a great point about uh, Fort Bragg. Absolutely. Okay, Frankie, we're going to let you go move on to the cloud. I, my heart is very happy hearing your words tonight. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for having me. I, I appreciate it. Right, so I look forward to further conversations with you at another time. Thanks again.
Okay, that is Jules Grave with his song Waterfall Child. And I really wanted to start with that tonight because we're going to be talking about water for the rest of the evening here. Right, my guest is going to be Angelina Cook. She's from the McLeod Watershed Council. Let's go ahead and bring her up, Rich. Hello, Angelina. Good evening. Thank you for being with us tonight. You're on KZY. My pleasure. Angelina, why don't you start out telling people, I want to be sure that people understand what the McLeod, where, where is the McLeod River, to explain it to us so people are, know what we're talking about here. Okay. Well, the McLeod River is, um, flows down the south side of uh, Mount Shasta. Mount Shasta is California's northernmost volcano. It's uh, second to southernmost volcano in the Cascade Ring of Fire. Anyway, it's up in far northern California in Siskiyou County, and the McLeod River is in between the Upper Sacramento River and the Pitt River, and those three rivers are what feed the Shasta Dam, which is California's largest reservoir. How many, how many rivers are birthed off of Mount Shasta? I'm sorry, can you repeat the question? Yes, how many rivers are birthed from Mount Shasta? Well, uh, the Shasta River originates in the north side and flows into the Klamath River. The Upper Sacramento and McLeod River originate at the base of Mount Shasta and flow into the Sacramento. Um, then the Medicine Lake Highlands and the Pitt River, uh, they're a little bit further over to the east. So, uh, really, three three solid rivers originate at the base of Mount Shasta. That's a, that's quite remarkable. Please tell us a little bit about the McLeod Watershed Council, your where you began and what kind of work you do. Sure. Well, uh, the McLeod Watershed Council uh, formed in two thousand five to uh, defend the community of McLeod against a uh, proposal from Nestle Waters North America. They were going to build the world's largest water bottling plant in the tiny town of McLeod. Um, and I arrived on the scene in 2007 when I uh, wrote a grant, to, or I got a grant to uh, do a cost-benefit analysis because I noticed that Nestle was uh, pushing its project forward based on uh, the promise of jobs. But I'm familiar enough with the water bottling industry to know that it's highly automated and it really doesn't produce a lot of jobs. And I did not think that the community was fairly evaluating the cost that would be borne to the community if it chose to move forward with the Nestle project. So I got involved in 2007 and have been involved in some capacity ever since. So what kind of projects are we working on now? Is the Nestle, Nestle project, is that off the table now? So Nestle, it was a six-year ordeal that was tremendously expensive to the, to the community and um, but they ended up canceling their contract in 2009. And ever since then, uh, McLeod has been targeted by other water bottling companies that think they could come in and uh, learn from the mistakes of Nestle. Um, so 
really, we've had to remain vigilant um, to make sure that the uh, there have been two legitimate proposals that kind of uh, came and went, and then right now we're on our third uh, possible bottling company. Who's, they're just still trying to cite in, in uh, McLeod. So we continue to defend the uh, community's water supply from industrial um, water profiteering, and we're also uh, trying. We also work with the Upper Sacramento Regional Water Action Group, so we help um, attract grants for major water infrastructure repairs. And ultimately, we're working towards uh, restoration. Uh, we've got a ton of opportunities for restoration in the McLeod River watershed. Um, one of them being Panther Creek restoration, and then there's tons of alpine meadow. Uh, restoration opportunities as well as, um, you know, beaver reintroduction. And there, there's just a whole slew of restoration opportunities. But it's um, so we're kind of building capacity for restoration. Uh, and in the meanwhile, uh, participating in collaborative processes to uh, secure our town's water supply and um, improve the health of our overall watershed. When you say restoration, what types of land use policies have had the most impact on the McLeod? Ooh. <laughs> That's an interesting uh, question. Well, uh, obviously we were, uh, you know, we began as a timber town. We were a private uh, timber company, uh, company town. Up until the 60s, I think it was the 60s, when the um, McLeod River Lumber Mill closed. Uh, so um, Siskiyou County is kind of famous for having um, not a lot of planning or land use policies to speak of. Um, we've definitely borne the brunt of centuries of heavy-handed forest management. And then, of course, uh, the last couple of decades um, of more contentious forest policies, uh, such as the Endangered Species Act, that uh, tried to implement uh, more sustainable forest management practices, but it really just drove a massive wedge in between our uh, timber towns and um uh, the in kind of the environmental well-being and health of our watershed. So we're we've, I'm not sure if that answers your question, but did it? Well, being being from a timber town, I can certainly infer a number of things from what you said. But um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I was just trying to assess. Like, it sounds like the logging is it had the most deleterious impact on the cloud so far. Is what I was saying. Yeah, I mean. The um, the logging is has been intense. Our our forests are not considered to be in a state of health right now um, because of kind of the fragmented uh, forest management practices between the public forest sector and the private forest sector. So we kind of we have habitat fragmentation um, and and forests that are 
over harvested in some regions, under harvested in other regions, and um, kind of mono, some monocrop replantation, and just kind of you know allow, allowing the profit motive to manage our forests rather than forest health. Mm. Um, so we're uh, nevertheless, you know, McLeod is in kind of a, a which what once was a very regal forest landscape and it's i think relative to some of the other forests in the state we might be somewhat healthy (laughs) but it's because of how robust our original forest stands uh, were and how amazing our alpine ecosystem began yes well those of us here in the redwood region can certainly relate to what happens when profits are allowed to be what what drives man, management decisions? And it's not good <laughs> in the long run. Yeah, it, we're paying for it now with the smoke in the atmosphere, the extreme fire danger. This is, in my mind, kind of California's watershed reckoning, where it's like we're finally having to pay the price for so many decades of mismanagement and. I just hope we'll learn our lessons and learn how to uh, make forest health be a stronger driver for how we manage and our ho- forest. And hopefully survive our lessons. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, with this, uh, I'm just curious now with the drought source of your, how is, a, how is a McLeod flowing this year? How is it doing with the flow? Oh, it's dismal. It's scary. Our town's... Uh, our town springs, uh, McLeod relies on three primary springs. They've never, they've always been considered very stable because it's a volcanic aquifer. But this is the first year all of our town spring flows have gone down like significantly, like more than half. The river, the McLeod River, which is kind of like the a gem of a river for California, it's like dry in places. It's crazy low and Mm. we're learning this that with this year we're learning that we are nowhere near as uh drought drought resistant as we thought we were yes i've seen the pictures circulating on social media without with no snow on shasta for the first time in in colonizer history that's quite pretty much it's extremely alarming it's straight up distressing to look up at the mountain when you're used to seeing it with some semblance of snowpack throughout the year and just to see it have you know going completely bare it just just looks so naked it's just a big rock right now (laughs) pretty much i mean there's a few glaciers hanging on for dear life on the north side but um yeah it's pretty dismal and it's very scary so I'm wondering, you know, we are working very hard with climate change here. We're working on getting some ref- reforms from the state for us, Jackson State here. I'm wondering how the Cloud Watershed Council, how do you play into climate issues if you do? Well, <laughs> definitely we do more strategizing um, and th- through long-term planning. Um we see our area as a potential carbon sink for the state. 
we, through our um, involvement with the Upper Sacramento Regional Water Action Group, we kind of are on a consistent, uh, well, so part of what that group did was create the Integrated Regional Water Management Plan. And so Siskiyou County does not have a history of comprehensive planning. And so we're trying to work with willing stakeholders that understand that we could be managing our forests much better for, for carbon sequestration and replenishing uh, soil health. The, uh, betw- so, um, and then, of course, maintaining as much water in the river as possible. We are naturally positioned to be uh, a, a force for... Uh, carbon sequestration and uh, reversing anthropogenic climate destabilization, but it's going to require a complete transformation of our, of our funding priorities. Um, so, again, it's like we, we, we've got to have climate resilience be the goal of natural resource, uh, forest management rather than the profit motive. Do you see that you're, you are making headway with any of the uh the government government agencies with that? <laughs> it's a, oh no, the laughter is not question. good. <laughs> <laughs> that's a loaded question. It's you know, Siskiyou County is very uh, politically conservative. I think we're we're still at the local level. We're we're still dealing with uh, climate deniers and all all the climate rhetoric that comes out of Sacramento seems. Like, it just doesn't really go up past the Shasta Dam. It feels like um, the state of California focuses more on the Sierra Nevada um, as far as um, reducing greenhouse gas emissions through forest restoration. So we're trying. We've It's been a very long haul to get more visibility to the importance of the uh, of the Upper Sacramento, McLeod, and Shasta River watersheds in our capacity to serve as a carbon sink for the state. So I'd like to think we're making progress, but I don't have very many tangible signs of evidence. Okay. (laughs) I have so many questions. I'm brimming. I would like to ask you about, of course, the big tension in California with water is often salmon versus uh, Central Valley corporate agriculture. I'm wondering what your take is on that, if you would like to tell us a little bit about that, your positions. Oh, well, I think that California has a tremendous opportunity to uh, transition from industrial food to to thriving local food. Um, I think that California's over-engineered water system was kind of designed by corporate industrial ag and the entire uh, thing is a behemoth and it's set up for failure but meanwhile California still has these prime conditions for growing and it's got a lot of innovative industrious farmers and people that are willing to work I think that California needs to stop trying to feed the world and start trying to feed its own people with um, diversified crops, more drought 
tolerant crops and, um, you know, things that will actually nourish communities rather than some of the industrial crops that we're currently focused on. Angelina, I'm, um, I'm going to invite people to call in if they want to join our conversation. If you'd like to join us, call 707-895-2448. Of course, this is my guest, Angelina Cook. She was from the Cloud Watershed Council. We're talking about water issues in the North State and the Central Valley. So please call if you'd like to join us. So, Angelina, I'm wondering, it certainly seems like corporate agriculture has a real grip on things. Do you see that weakening in some places? Well, we would all like uh, small mom-and-pop kind of farms and more organic and close to the earth, all of that kind of thing. I was wondering where you see us on this spectrum of Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it depends on if I'm looking through my optimistic lens or my pessimistic lens. It's like I see a lot of promise in the, the micro um, farms, kind of local food movement. I think there's, like I said, tons of innovation happening in that field right now. Um, I Up in Siskiyou County, we have uh, more, you know, small farms. I think the industrial crops that are grown in Siskiyou County are is just like alfalfa and strawberries. Um, so, uh, so I guess it's not a huge issue in in Siskiyou County, but I think I do not see the industrial food model lasting much longer. I, I think I, it's it's kind of too big for its own britches, and we need to diversify and stop shipping food so far around the world, eat closer to home. Do you have allies in Sacramento that are willing to put some so their shoulder to the wheel with that issue? I was not aware of that. Are you referring to something specific? Yes, I'm wondering if you have allies in Sacramento or in D.C. that are willing to help you push the envelope. Yeah, for sure. I think there's a huge network of people that are ready to see transformation in our food system. I'm very glad to hear that. Do uh, how far up the river do do salmon make it when they spawn up there? Well, um, that's a good question. We haven't seen salmon up in the McLeod since the Shasta Dam went in um, back in the 60s, 50s. Um, <laughs> my history timeline is, is not great. Anyway, um, so I'm not – are you asking how many miles are our rivers? Well, no, I'm just wondering if any salmon ever make it up there. I know they have to get past the nope. dam, but No, somehow. the salmon do not pass the Shasta Dam. Ever since Shasta Dam went in, the upper Sacramento, McLeod, and Pitt River have been devoid of salmon. But the salmon do still swim up the Shasta River on the north side, and the Shasta River, um, you know, once was the Klamath River's most productive salmon tributary at the Shasta River has uniquely ideal conditions for for salmon, and the uh, Shasta River confluence with the Klamath 
occurs downstream of Iron Gate dams. So the Klamath River dams that are slated for removal um, did not obscure or prohibit salmon from returning to the Shasta River, um, but they are teetering at the brink of extinction because the farmers, or because of all the ag irrigation mm-hmm. um, uh, dewatering essentially the Shasta River. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen in a number of photos of the marinas of Shasta, and I think Orville too, and it is alarming. They're basically parking boats on mud, it seems like. Yeah, oh, yeah, the Shasta Reservoir is, uh, <sighs> I can imagine it's very low. Yeah, it's very shocking. So let's talk, let's talk more about carbon sequestration. How do you see those forests, those alpine forests, as playing a part here? Uh, well, um, trees spend their whole life taking carbon in from the atmosphere uh, and turning it into cellulose. And uh, that's... Um, so once we learn how to adjust our economy so that the most affordable option is uh, restorative forestry, we can start managing our forests again for carbon sequestration and um, decelerating human acceleration of, of carbon chaos. Um, so it's really through forest restoration and then also um, regenerative agriculture, which makes uh, use of ruminants and puts animals on the land in a good way so that this soil turns back into kind of a sponge, more of a sponge. So between the mycelial networks and um, and vegetative uh, root structures and um, healthy tree stands, the soil between the soils and the trees themselves, they can sequester tremendous amounts of carbon from the atmosphere. And so um, learning how to manage our forest for those benefits will be a huge piece of that at the same time as um, gradually increasing um, options like public transit so that we can rely less on automobility and as well as retrofitting some um, renewable energy technology so we're less reliant on coal-fired electricity. And so it's, it's a very much a holistic, um, comprehensive vision of how to see you manage our lands and make consumer choices in a way that minimize carbon emissions while maximizing uh, utility and uh, quality of life. I think really it's just a matter of perspective. I think there's a lot lot to be gained in moving towards clean energy technologies and restorative land use policies. Um, But for some reason, our politicians have been afraid of it, and they've been kicking the can down the road for about 40, 50 years now. Well, so, um, again, we recently have Gavin Newsom saying the 30 by 30 initiative 
tell tell listeners. I think most of them know, but please tell us what the Third Eye Thirty initiative is. Uh, well, I am vaguely familiar with the Thirty by Thirty initiative. I think it's it's a um, an effort to preserve thirty percent natural land in California by by twenty thirty. And I have to say that between the water resilience portfolio and the integrated regional water management program and the sustainable groundwater management um, program, it's like California every other year it comes out with some grand new marketing strategy. And I just want to see them follow through with one of their great ideas. So hopefully 30 by 30 might be one of them, but it's hard to keep the faith when the rug keeps getting pulled out from under you. Once you're like, you finally gain some traction with one of the new, new state programs and then it disappears or, or it's fragmented. So it's, I, I would like to believe in a 30 by 30 initiative, but I'm, I think the, the verdict is still out. Yes, we're very, um, we have Jackson State Forest here. Where we're trying to get the state to, that's about the lowest hanging fruit on their tree if they were serious, but they're still logging in Jackson State. So I'm, so I'm trying to just figure where we may be able to intersect with you and this thing because we are very frustrated with our governor too. Yeah, no, I think, I think there's a huge opportunity, especially for the giant counties of the North State, uh, to collaborate better and to connect our issues and combine our ideas and and consolidate our resources and speak with a unified voice i think that the um the issues of how underserved uh we have been for the last couple of decades if not century um i you know i think they were all kind of occurred under similar conditions i think we have a lot of similarities so we'd be very interested in working meaningfully with Humboldt County, Mendocino, Del Norte, and even Modoc and Lassen. And, Angela, uh, we, have come a, up. we have a caller. We're going to take that, okay? Okay, great. Oh, caller, you're on the air. Oh, my gosh, already. Yes, you are, sir. Um, well, I was calling to see, I'm Paul Zellman down in Ukiah, and uh, I'm an ag instructor at the community college and Aggie via our UC systems, and also I've served on the Rush River Flood Control District and uh, on local uh, wine grape commissions. I wanted to just kind of pass along my contact information to your um, your guests now and probably continue on that discussion about agriculture and what agriculture could happen in the North Coast that may not be so industrial, but also may not have to ship so far, and I'm wondering what that could well be. I know that those are wonderful ideas, but I just don't know how you'd make a sustainable business out of it. Well, do you have a specific question? Is that a specific question for her? So so for right now, there, there's alfalfa and the strawberries on, on our big north coast. And let's go ahead and take it Humboldt and all the way across over to the east there. Does this do that? Yeah, let's get it back on. I'm sorry, caller. Call we lost we lost Angelina. 
We're getting her oh, back bummer. right now. We're getting her back right bummer. now. So please wait. Well, I know it's, it's right. It's right at the end of the show. I will wait, and and I would love to have maybe an off the air conversation with her. Um, yeah, it sounds like that'd be. A good I thing. see my. I, I see. My you can get in touch with her at McLeod Watershed Council. Now we lost everybody. Now it's just me, Rich. I guess so. I'm sorry. We're gonna get everybody back here. There was the top one there. Rich is getting Angelina back on. I'm not sure why she dropped, but we'll get the show started again. Sorry about that, people. So we're working on it. <clears throat> Sorry about the dead air. I know it's bad radio, but we're doing the best we can. We have you, Angelina? Hi. Sorry, I lost you. Yeah, something happened there, huh? Well, I'm glad you're back. The caller is. I going, hope I get to. The oh, I hope I get to hear the caller that I missed because I. Well, he, I think he's, he's about to say. He's going to contact you. He wants to network network with you, and I told him how to get in touch with you. So I think he'll call you, <laughs> and have a maybe a private conversation with you at some point about agriculture. Okay. All right. Thank you. Well, let's see if we can pick up our momentum again. <laughs> Um, one of the questions I had for you up there, you have a lot of federal land mixed in with private land. Yes. So when you when you work on timber harvest plants, commenting on them, how does that work? Well, um, that's a good question. That's actually uh, something that my colleague is just now really getting uh, started with. Uh, luckily, we have groups like Epic and KS Wild who have been um, commenting on timber harvest plans. In um, for our reality, we're extremely uh, underfunded and uh, mostly volunteer organization, and so it's difficult to know how uh, valuable uh, public comments uh, are on certain things and because the timber harvest planning process has become so heavily regulated um, that's generally not been an activity we've had the the luxury to uh, to pursue primarily because of a lack of organizational capacity mm -hmm. but you're right on the um, We've got about, I think, 65% of Siskiyou County is public forest land. And so what I was alluding to earlier with the um, the uh, kind of the wedge that the Endangered Species Act ended up driving in the community was part mostly because of the, the loss of uh, timber sales because um, that federal timber sale money was dedicated to schools. And so it's... You know, when your county develops on so heavily focused on a single industry such as timber, uh, when any regulation comes along that uh, changes the game, it it can be uh, extremely difficult for the communities to adjust to to it. So, um, I wish we had more influence on on uh, resilient forest management practices, 
but uh, so far we're just trying to protect our waters. So I, I guess we're going to have to pray for a good winter this year, for now. <laughs> yeah, I have to agree with you there, people. It amazes me how people just think we're going to get a decent snowpack and everything can carry on hunky-dory. I'm um, kind of surprised at how little uh, change I can really see on the ground with um, people preparing for this drought because, I don't know, yes, let's pray for snow and let's not expect it. So do you think uh, people are changing their, their practices? No, I do not. I do not. The, um, I mean, there's minor conservation measures taking place but nowhere near uh, what they need to be or what they should be if we were taking this drought more seriously. Um, let me ask, what would you like to see if people were taking it more seriously? What kind of changes would that look like? Well, pretty much ag reform. Um, we would make and uh, reprioritizing beneficial uses of water in California. Like, industrial consumptive uses of water are just not appropriate right now. Um, but these historic water right holders and these even junior right, water right holders that are, it's, you know, they're, it's like water for profit. They're, they're not necessary and they're consumptive and they primarily benefit uh, private interests. So I'd like to see... Um, pretty decent curtailments on any use of water that doesn't generate clear public benefits. Um, so that would, of course, and then, they, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, and, that, you know, and then, of course, you know, I, I obviously, like, being more conservative in the res residential sector as well, but... Um, I think California, it's like we need to figure out how to address our unjust, overly complicated, convoluted system of water rights. And it's, it's a huge can of worms, but it, if we're going to respond meaningfully to this drought, we have to do it. Do you see anybody in Sacramento or in Washington picking up, picking up that ball? That's a good question. <clears throat> um, I do. I, I see. I think pe people are being very gentle with the conversation. Um, I think we've seen over the past decades in the activist community that anger doesn't really get very far. Uh, so it's it's a little bit of a disconnect. I feel like it's an urgent issue that needs you know where we need to t face the problem head on but nobody's really facing the problem head on and um so i think there are groups that are talking about more systemic uh approaches to helping california get through the next five or ten years and coming out the other side being like completely retrofitted and renovated and 
reoriented around natural systems. I, we've just been taking nature for granted for so long, and we've built our communities upon the systematic devaluation of ecosystem services. And so that has to be changed. We have to invest in our ecosystems, and that is going to be what carries California's economy into the latter half of this century if we get our acts together fast enough in the next few years. Angelia, I'm, we're getting close to 8 o'clock. I'm going to ask you to make uh, a few final comments, and we're going to have to switch over here pretty soon. Okay. So what, what, what last words would you like to leave to our listeners here on KZYX tonight? I would say be really grateful for your water. I would say pay attention to your water. Ask where your water is coming from. Figure out your source. If you don't know your source, like, you know, make sure you know where your water is coming from. And then look upstream and look at the communities who are essentially responsible for making sure water stays in the river and makes it all the way down to the big cities downstream because there's a lot of political will and public interest in sustainability and stewardship down in the more populated areas. But in the upper watersheds, the rural communities, the forested, retired timber towns, it's still, water is still unregulated, it's unmonitored, it's the Wild West, and it's free game. This has been a production of KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening.